Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to dive right in this morning. We are continuing the series on the uh, seven churches, the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. I'm so excited uh, about this morning specifically, but uh, we're getting far enough into this series that I can't keep recapping uh, all the churches that we've done. So if you've missed any of the last several weeks, I encourage you uh, go back on Facebook or uh, look up the podcast to get caught up. Uh, but this, uh, uh, to this point, we've covered churches in Ephesus, uh, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamum, and then last week, the church of Thyatira, uh, which was the church. They had good deeds. They had good love. They had good faith. They had good service, good perseverance. They checked all the boxes you want a church to check. Uh, and all of this, they even said it's an increasing fashion. You're getting better at this um, but they, uh, we don't need them out just yet, Greg, uh, but they tolerated sin and those who spread sin. So Jesus said, hey, that doesn't work for me. Uh, uh, you can't just offset a lifestyle of sin by doing good in other places. So that was his message uh, to the church at Thyatira. Uh, and today uh, we're moving on to the next church, which is the church at Sardis. And now we can put it on the map there, uh, if you would, Greg. So it's, uh, this was actually believed to be kind of an ancient postal route. Uh, and Sardis is number five. You can see it's looping back around. So these churches are only about 40 miles apart or so uh, in distance from, from one to the next. So uh, that's good there, Greg. Uh, now, what I've encouraged you to do in this series is to really hold up these letters in the Word of God and view them as a mirror of sorts uh, and saying, do I see myself in these letters, in the message in these letters? So, for instance, uh, in the letter to Ephesus, uh, do I see myself where all of these people are doing really good things and they have good, accurate beliefs and doctrine, but their love for God has faded? Uh, does that speak to you uh, in your walk with God? Or do you see yourself in the, the church of Thyatira, which is doing almost everything well, but you know that there's sin that you tolerate in your life and Jesus is calling you to turn that over to him? So uh, today I especially want to challenge you to hold up this letter to Sardis as a mirror in your life. Uh, now, I'm not saying that to imply that this is where I see you. Uh, I'm actually saying that because uh, as we look at Sardis, what we're going to see is the circumstances that are surrounding the church of Sardis are very much like the circumstances that are surrounding the American church. So we're going to get more into detail uh, shortly on that. But before we do, let's uh, read together the church uh, the letter to the church in Sardis, it's Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in a little bit, we're going to take this passage kind of line by line. But what I want to do first is I want to talk a little bit about what we know of the history of the city of Sardis and the history of the church of Sardis. So a couple things I want you to see right off the bat. Uh, First of all, the city of Sardis was extremely wealthy. Uh, uh, in, In fact, Sardis is the first city in Asia Minor that began to mint coins to use as money. Uh, and as such, this is pretty amazing. Sardis, is, it's referred to as the place where money as we know it was born. Uh, so uh, outsiders of the city, both, both uh, Christians and, and pagan outsiders, would look at Sardis uh, and they kind of hated Sardis because uh, it was this city that loved pleasure and luxury and decadence uh, and, and they were so wealthy. Uh, even the Christians in the city of, of Sardis were wealthy. So for other churches that we've looked at so far, to, to follow Christ was to embrace extreme poverty. You couldn't be a Christian and be rich. But here in Sardis, uh, it was okay. You could be a Christian and you could be wealthy. In fact, the Christians were very wealthy. The question is, why are the Christians here the exception? Because other cities that we've looked at If you did not bow down to the pagan and Roman gods, no one would do business with you. We looked at that some last week. So why were they the exception here? And we'll answer that shortly. The second thing I want you to see is if we retrace our steps from the churches uh, to the churches that we've looked at so far in this series in Revelation chapter two, what we find is this is an era in church history where persecution was a major factor. Remember, these churches are only about 40 miles apart. So uh, church after church is being persecuted. Christians are being put to death. Uh, A few weeks ago, we looked at the church in Pergamum. Uh, In that letter, Jesus commends the church uh, for not losing faith as they watch their friend Antipas die for his faith. Antipas uh, traditionally is recognized as the first martyr in Asia. He was placed in a large bronze kettle, and he was roasted alive for not rejecting his faith in Christ. This is the era they live in. Uh, we look uh, at the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was the face, uh, church that faced intense persecution for their faith. Uh, to follow Jesus basically meant to risk your life. This is where Polycarp was burned alive at the stake. And when the flames wouldn't harm him, they stabbed him. Uh, so he died by the sword. Remember, this is the church. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Not because I'm coming to rescue you out of the situation, but because it'll be worth it for you to endure the suffering even unto death. So just be faithful. Now, this is the the spiritual atmosphere of the church of that day. But I want to compare those churches to the church at Sardis because what we can see pretty clearly in all of these churches is they lived in a day where there was heavy persecution against the church, but not in Sardis. Uh, Even though Sardis, again, is only maybe 40 miles from the other churches, uh, and these other churches have histories of of mass persecution taking place and martyrdom uh, uh, really by the thousands and even into the millions, there's no record of any persecution ever taking place against the church in Sardis. Again, globally, uh, this is much like the American church because Globally, we live in a day where the church is under intense persecution. 
So I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, Gordon Conwell University estimated that more than 35 million people have been killed for their faith in the last 120 years. More than 35 million people worldwide have been killed for their faith in the last 120 years. That's more than the 1900 years preceding it. We live in a day globally of intense persecution and, and we shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus said in John 15, he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Yet much like the church of Sardis, we live in this era of great persecution, but just like the church of Sardis, we in America seem to be exempt from it. And the question is, why? Uh, is it because we just have God's hand of protection over America or that we live under the, the, the great blessing of God? Uh, now, that's possible. I'll, I'll just let you kind of wrestle with that. But I think uh, it's crucial here um, that we ask the same question of Sardis. How did Sardis live in this era of just intense persecution, but they escaped it? Because I bet people within the church of Sardis would have said, well, God just has his hand of protection over us, or we're just um, more blessed than the other six churches. So while the global church is being persecuted, we're in the free and the clear. But when we read the letter to the church of Sardis, that seems to pretty clearly not be the case. Uh, and actually, historically, we actually know why the church of Sardis wasn't persecuted. It's because they pursued the most inoffensive Christianity they could. They actually embraced and appeased, uh, appeased the, the pagan culture and archaeology even exemplifies this. So I want to show you a couple things that have been found uh, in the city of Sardis. So uh, the first one is uh, it's a marketplace in ancient Sardis, um, and they, they have crosses on which actually identified the shopkeeper as a Christian. Now, the thing that we know about this is if this was in any other city, that would not be allowed uh, because you, you have to bow down to the pagan culture or you cannot set up shop in the marketplace. So while this might not seem like a big deal, it actually tells us that for them to do this, to set up a Christian shop, means that they had to also recognize the pagan gods of that culture. But the next one I want to show you is what really says it all. Uh, these are, are the, the excavations of a synagogue in Sardis. Uh, and what you're looking at here. Uh, is actually behind the lion is a, an altar in the synagogue. This is an altar, and on the side of it, if you can see, they actually carved a Roman eagle. These are symbols and statues of Roman animals inside the church, and it's a way of recognizing and honoring Rome, and it's spread throughout the entire synagogue. The Roman state was murdering Christians all over the world. But not here, because here in Sardis, they are commemorating and honoring the Roman uh, Empire, even on the very altar of God. Now, if you walked into the sanctuary this morning, uh, and we had American flags flying everywhere, uh, and we had on this wall just real big letters, Trump train. No, we're not going to do that. Now, if we had American flags everywhere, there would, there would honestly be a mixed reception 
Uh, Some of you would bring your friends next week. Others of you would never come again. But even that's not really a good analogy because a better analogy is if there were a nation that were targeting and killing Christians by the millions and we took their flag and we decked out the sanctuary with their flags and their symbols and we, and we said, we're going to honor that nation uh, this morning and recognize them. That's more of what's happening here because Rome is leading the charge for killing Christians, yet in Sardis, on the very altars of the churches and synagogues, they are declaring their allegiance to Rome. Now, there's even more that I could show you uh, about uh, how Jewish and Christian culture, or or Christian churches mixed pagan culture to avoid persecution, but uh, it's kind of a a rabbit hole that I'll I'll go too long in, so uh, you can look that up. It's interesting, but this is why they're allowed to set up shops and to become wealthy alongside everyone else. This is why they escaped persecution when the rest of the Christian church was being killed for their faith. The church in Sardis escaped persecution not because God had a a special hand of protection or blessing on them, but because they were like a spiritual chameleon who, who just learned how to blend into their surroundings. Don't offend anyone. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't step on any toes. Just blend in and learn to coexist. Um, i got to tell you something. I hate that bumper sticker that says coexist. And if you have one on your car, I'm not talking about yours, just everyone else's. But it's not because I don't want peace or that I don't think we should be able to coexist, but it's because that word has come to mean you do your thing and you leave me alone while I do mine. You have it your way, I have it my way. The problem with that is, what if your way is wrong? And what if your way is leading you to hell? Because Jesus didn't say, I'm a way and a truth and a life. I'm one option. Oh, our world would love Jesus if he said he's a way. But Jesus said, I am the way and the only truth, the only life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And we say, yeah, but I can't tell someone that. I don't want to offend someone. Sometimes, church, the truth can be offensive. It's just the reality. But we have this church in Sardis that I believe is so much like the American church that says, I don't want to offend anyone, so I'll just kind of blend into the background. And that is not the church that God has sent out into the world. So if we take this verse by verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he says, To the angel in the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So the seven stars, he said in chapter 1, are the angels of the seven churches. Could possibly just mean the leaders or the pastors of the churches. He uses a word that could mean either. But what about these seven spirits? Now the most common interpretation of this is that this is simply referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So for one thing, uh, the number seven is used throughout Scripture as a symbolic uh, Uh, symbolism of wholeness and perfection, but uh, I believe what's happening here with the seven spirits is it's a nod to the book of Isaiah, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit and and specifically speaking 
of how the Holy Spirit would rest on Jesus, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 11:2. He said, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And what he does here is he gives seven attributes of who the Holy Spirit is. He's the spirit of the Lord and of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear. Uh, and these are the seven uh, characteristics of the Holy Spirit. So for John to say the seven spirits, what he's saying is Jesus possesses these attributes in fullness. He possesses the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and he just calls it the seven spirits. Again, that's the most common interpretation. So continuing with verse 1, uh, to the angel in the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You know, a good reputation uh, is usually a really good thing. Uh, Proverbs 22 says, a good name is more desirable than great riches, but a reputation is good, just not when your reputation is different from reality. Because by all outward appearances, the church at Sardis looked like a thriving, healthy church. They've got the, the programs, they've got the ministries, they've got a vacation Bible school and good attendance and tithes and offerings are up. They've got money in the bank. They look like a thriving, healthy church. Now, for instance, when Smyrna, the persecuted church, Remember, they are, they are one of two churches in these letters that receives no rebuke and no correction. But Sardis is on the opposite end of the spectrum because rather than receive no correction, they receive no commendation. God looks at this church that appears to be thriving and healthy, and he says, I've got nothing good to say about you. Beneath the, the surface and the facade, he says, you're dead. Uh, Sardis wasn't losing the battle because there was no battle. They weren't losing a battle with sin because they weren't fighting a battle with sin. They weren't losing a battle with compromise because they weren't fighting a battle with compromise. Why is there no persecution in, in Sardis? Because none is needed. They're not a threat to the, the, the kingdom of Satan. So why mess with them? Sardis was this perfect model of an inoffensive but equally ineffective church. An inoffensive but equally ineffective model of Christianity. So what does Jesus say to do in verse 2? He says, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You know, only Jesus can say, you're dead, but you're not too far gone. Not many people can say that because death in our mind, it's the end of the road. But Jesus says, you are a dead church, so here's what you do next. Even though you're dead, there is church, and I want you to, or, or there is hope. I, I want you to hear that this morning because you might be here uh, and you feel like that flame of faith has gone out completely in your life. You might feel like uh, your faith is as good as dead, and Jesus might even say, okay, it's dead. Now here's what we do next. Because the, the God who can breathe life into a valley of dry bones, even death is not too far gone for him to do a mighty work. 
So Jesus says this, start where you are. Start with what you have and strengthen that place. To the church at at Sardis, uh, he says, though you are dead, find those places where there's just a hint of life and begin strengthening those places. Again in verse 2, he says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, Jesus uses this phrase, wake up, uh, two times, and, and there's actually probably a better way of translating this phrase Uh, And you'll see that depending on the translation you have. But it's it's not a phrase that you use when you wake up in the morning to get out of bed. It's not a reference to opening your eyes. It's actually uh, a phrase that's used more often in the military context. uh, And what it uh, literally says is be watchful or become watchful. watchful. So, uh, for instance, in 1 Peter 5.8, when he says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to, to devour. That phrase, be alert, is the exact same phrase in Revelation where he says, wake up. And what Jesus is saying is, be watchful because you don't know when I'm coming. And this, this is something that the people would have recognized, uh, they would have connected with immediately. Uh, and that's because of the history of the city of Sardis. Sardis was located Uh, on the top of a a hill or a mountain. It was 1,500 feet in the air, and it was surrounded by deep cliffs. Uh, I actually have a picture of where it was located, and you can kind of see uh, just the elevation of it. Um, But it was almost impossible for for an enemy uh, army to penetrate, and because they were so naturally set up for success, um, they let their guard down. Literally, uh, they wouldn't post people to defend the city because they just, their circumstances were so great naturally that they didn't feel it was necessary. So what happened uh, twice in history, once by King Cyrus, once by entire church, and I'll tithe, and I'll serve, and before you know it, you're just going through the motions. And, And if you go through the motions long enough, you get this reputation of being a good Christian and an upstanding citizen, but in reality, You're not feeding your faith. And if you're not feeding your faith, then your faith is dying. We have to be intentional about pursuing and seeking God. Um, I I heard the story this week, and it's it's really interesting that if we look at the stars, and the stars are light years away, and uh, if you don't know what that means, if you go at the speed of light, which I think is like 186,000 miles a second or, or something crazy, But if you go at the speed of light, the stars, some of them are 5, 10, you know, 30 light years away, which means if the star begins to shine a light, you won't know it for 30 years because it takes that long for the star to reach you. But on the flip side of that, if the star dies, you won't know it for 30 years because the darkness that's that's coming now, you're just seeing the light that used, used to be there. And this is kind of what's happening in the church of Sardis. And this is, in truth, what's happening in a lot of Christians' lives. We have a light that used to be there. There used to be life. And people can still see a little bit of light from the outside. But what God is saying is, I can see past that. And I can see that there's a reputation 
that you're on fire from, for God. But, but I see past the reputation to the reality, church. And we can't let the, this confidence and comfort uh, become our undoing. Uh, Paul said the, the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. We'll go ahead and wrap it up uh, in Revelation 3. Uh, you can come, Renee. Um, so beginning in verse 4, he says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, uh, they have not defiled their garments. Now, uh, th this would have actually connected to them on a, a couple of levels because in pagan worship, the worship of the gods, uh, you could not approach the gods or the temples if you were in dirty clothes. You, you would have to have clean clothes to approach the Roman and then the pagan gods. But what Jesus says here, and if you go to uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, you see this clearly. He actually, for his church, provides the clothes. It's back uh, the song Cornerstone where he says, dressed in your righteousness alone. Jesus provides the clothes. He provides the covering. He provides the righteousness and the holiness that allows you in faith to come into his presence. Adam and Eve tried to make their own garments to cover their sin. God said that's not sufficient. So the, the first sacrifice took place and they were covered with a covering provided by God. And he says, I will not blot out their name. Again, if we look at uh, ancient cities, and the, they, they had these registries, and when someone uh, died, their name was marked off the registry to, to show that they had died. To blot someone out mean, meant that they were dead, but Jesus said, uh, even, even when you die, your name won't be blotted out. Even when you die, you'll continue to live in Christ. Jesus ends everything with this message of hope. Uh, and again, I just love it, church, because he says, you're dead. You're in a place where the world would say you are too far gone. But I'm going to give you hope. And I'm going to tell you what to do next. And I'm going to tell you that, that I want to clothe you with white so that you can approach my presence, so that you can be in my temple. Uh, church, can you stand? And, and what I want to do is uh, uh, Bell and, and a few others that are, are willing to just be a part of a, a prayer team this morning. Uh, we have a little hallway here in the back. And um, I, I know in a room this size, in a crowd this size, that we have people who are experiencing that, that feeling of the flame is going out or the flame has gone out, and maybe I have the reputation, but I recognize that God sees through that reputation and sees that, that I need, I need the flame to be fanned inside of me. And you know what the Word of God says? It says, let, the, that, that fan, let the flame be fanned by the laying on of hands. So uh, we're going to offer a prayer team here in the back as Renee leads us. And... Um, 
I'm going to ask you if you're not receiving prayer just to close your eyes and worship. And I want you to know, you know in your heart if you need that prayer this morning that says, fan the flame. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to just take a step to the back and let us pray with you just for a few moments. Father, I pray you speak this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray you move on our hearts. Lord, would you fan the flame inside of us this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.